Welcome to SAS Talk with Kim, your sustainability action series podcast highlighting how local governments are leading the way toward a more sustainable future. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren. I've spent the last 16 years working for and with local governments to help them create resilient, inclusive, thriving communities. I started this podcast series to connect you with the key people on the ground putting sustainability into action in their communities. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to SAS Talk with Kim. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren, and I'm particularly excited today to have a guest with us that is the Youth Opportunity Coordinator in the city of Charlottesville, Virginia. We have Daniel Fairley with us. Hi, Daniel. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Great. Thank you. So, Daniel, I've actually had the privilege to spend some time in Charlottesville many years ago in my Ickley days and working with the city and the county on a lot of their climate protection work. So I've been to your beautiful city and, um, you know, I have a different connotation to it than I think maybe some folks of recent years, you know, Charlottesville, of course, got gained attention um, in August uh, two years ago, 2017 when, um, you know, there were riots and, and racist events happening, and it wasn't the right kind of spotlight for Charlottesville, um, certainly knowing uh, what kind of community you have there. But um, I think folks would, you know, kind of just be generally interested in understanding, is that something that triggered this type of position, um, your youth opportunity coordinator position? I think we're going to want to talk through that a little bit. But first, let's understand exactly what it is that you do as the Youth Opportunity Coordinator. You are the first to hold this position, right? Yeah, so my position started in December of 2017. Um, Thankfully, I was actually able to start after all of the events um, in August 11th and 12th because with that, it honestly allowed for the city and the community, I think it's galvanized a lot of people in regards to making sure that they are including equity, that they're including race, that they're including youth voice in the opportunities and, and the work that we're doing going forward. Um, so my position started in 2017, but the kind of origins of my position, origins of the Charlottesville Alliance for Black Male Achievement, were way back in 2012 when we as a city received a technical assistance grant from the National League of Cities. Um, that along with um, just over-enthusiastic and excitement from city council and youth council uh, proposed the position and created this opportunity for me to be the youth opportunity coordinator with kind of a a specific focus on black male achievement inside the city. Um, So it's something that I think was kind of started before, at least like the groundwork was laid before the riots and the racism that occurred inside of August and really throughout the summer of 2017. But it's something that now I'm able to do uh, with a galvanizing spirit of the community behind me. So the job wasn't necessarily a result of those events, but it seems to have impacted both your role as well as those of others in the Charlottesville area, right? Yeah, no, it definitely wasn't a result of the events of August 11th and 12th. I think it maybe was a catalyst, you know, it kind of helped to uh, expedite some of the processes as far as like making sure that we have someone focused in on diversity and inclusivity work. Um, There have been a number of positions that have been created after my position, um, including like a diversity and equity person, both in the city schools, as well as a diversity and equity person inside of the county of Albemarle, um, not just in their school system, but like in the entire county. 
So I think that like that work has been done um, like kind of afterwards and, and in regards to people recognizing that we need to have these systems in place. And we even have um, our city council just like, well, approved or like verbally said that they were for uh, having some type of people come together and uh, form like an office of diversity and equity inside the city. Um, so those things I think like, can be attributed to like, you know, a, an awakened racial consciousness of the city. Uh, it's pretty much, I mean, at least in my conversations for sure, a daily conversation throughout the city. Um, but I think that like for me, it was nice because I was able to have kind of like some of the groundwork uh, being laid before August 11th and 12th. So that way, not everything that I do is directly related to that. But I also am in a space and our city is in a space where when I come to a meeting or when I am uh, asking for help or assistance, it's very readily, you know, like we're people are very excited and they really say, oh, my gosh, it's so great that you're doing the work that you're doing. You really want to make sure that our um, department is supportive of you and I've had nothing but a resounding support and excitement for the work that I get to do. Well, that's certainly great to hear. And, you know, it's not surprising to me that Charlottesville was taking on um, it's a program like this back in 2012. Um, I've certainly seen some great things come out of Charlottesville. So that's really great to hear that this is something that the National League of Cities supported and that you're kind of um, a bit of a legacy from previous work. And so talk to us a little bit about stuff you're doing today. What does your job look like today? Yeah, so I think that it's really nice for me because I have kind of the groundwork of some things that have been done before I got here, um, such as we were given, I walked into the office and I was given a grant from Bama Works, which is Dave Matthews kind of fund that he uses to help with education and music and arts um, throughout the community. So I was given a grant from them to help create a documentary. Um, and that was on my first day. And so that awesome. was pretty nice that I had these kind of like, you know what I mean? I like, just amazing. apply for it or anything. Um, just just $15,000 and do something with this. Um, so Great. I think that that's, those things are really exciting. Um, but it's also exciting. It was scary in the beginning, but it's now exciting that I get to kind of make the days my own and I get to make um, all of the work all the work that I want to do is just kind of things that I hear from the community and I'm able to respond. Um, so if someone says, you know, some of the kids inside of, let's say West Haven, one of our communities um, that's made through public assistance and public housing, they have kids there that just aren't reading on the grade level that they need to be. Um, and it's starting really young. I mean, first graders and so on that are maybe just starting to read when they get to the classroom. Um, having an opportunity to work with them has been really fantastic because it was, you're able to hear a need from the community and then act on it by partnering with the Virginia Humanities as well as City of Promise to get a, get together a book club. Um, the kids called it the Swag Reading Book Club. Um, so they had their own <laughs> idea of what they wanted to be called. Um, but getting that together and, and doing some of those projects has been really helpful. But I also am able to do more of the systemic work, right? So they, we know that just in every opportunity that has to deal with diversity or inclusivity, um, a lot of the work that we do is kind of focused in on programming and focused in on the 
as someone would describe that like the fish, right? If, we're, if we have a river, we have a stream that's going and there are fish and we're at the very end of the stream saying, what's wrong with these fish? They're all sick, they're all dying, they're coming down to the end of the stream, whether that's college or graduation or whatever, whatever you may have, and they're not prepared, right, for the, for the real world or for the ocean. Um, but what we need to do instead of asking what's wrong with the fish and trying to repair and patch up and you know, fix these fish, we need to kind of go a little bit further upstream and see the ways in which we can fix the water, right? What's wrong with the water in this that kids are just coming out of, systemically coming out of public housing, not prepared to read, or systemically coming out of um, trauma and like just experiencing higher rates of trauma based on the location of where they live. How can we make sure that there's a system in place that is helping and engaging these kids, that's helping and engaging the parents and the people that are providing for these kids. How do we make sure that there's systemically supports and systemically uh, guidance around what it means to kind of like move forward and move throughout our world? So I think that like that work I get to do is some of the things that are a little bit more uh, nebulous and their results as far as like I don't get to see the exact kids that are let's say the kids that I worked with this summer um, with youth council were able to actually speak to our school city school board and talk to them about how a lot of them were in honors classes but inside of honors classes there weren't many there wasn't much diversity right there's a lot of white kids that were going to honors classes because these white kids that were in honors classes were the same white kids that were pulled out in the kind of honors quest program, which is like a gifted program inside the elementary schools. And so seeing that there was a pathway in which kids started to be segregated, um, oftentimes based on race, not even based on abilities, but based on their race to be segregated to move up the system, it's something that I wanted to make sure um, that there was more integration, right? So the kids that I worked with, they said, we're not seeing anyone else that doesn't look like us or we're not seeing um, different kids inside of our classes. We want to make sure that that happens. So they advocated to the school board to take away standalone honors classes to where now honors classes inside of the um, Charlottesville City Schools are going to be classes that are integrated and that some kids will be taking honors while some kids will be taking academic, but it's still like a higher uh, academic environment for everyone. And so I think that like Things like that, we're able to see the systemic issues, and I don't know every kid that gets to take a now an academic class um, with honor students or an honors class with academic students. I don't get to see them personally, but I get to see the ways in which the systemic issues were um, addressed through the advocacy and amplifying the youth voice inside of our community. That's so amazing to, I mean, listening to you talking about this, because I think about, I mean, of course, the work we do here is climate change, which a lot of folks think about. This mm -hmm. is a massive issue. I couldn't possibly wrap my head around it. And what could I as one individual possibly do? And this is the same exact scale of a lot of the work that you're trying to address. I mean, these systemic barriers have been around for, I would argue, since the beginning of this country. And yeah. And to hear, I mean, I'm like tearing up already because <laughs> I'm just mm -hmm. thinking about these young people who are, you know, have you as an advocate and are leveraging that to help make change. It just feels like such an amazing opportunity for them. I mean, it just gets me thinking, how do we get someone like you in every city in this country? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that really the right, exactly. Um, I mean, every every time that I tell someone about what I do, um, they're always like, "Oh my gosh, we need that here." Um, no matter where I am. And I think that it, it really comes down to having a city government and city schools that are really supportive uh, and recognizing that there needs to be someone doing this work full time. Like we need an advocate for our students that's doing this full time. So that way when we have, we have like a really, really exciting student um, who her name is Diana Bryant and she just graduated from Charlottesville High School and has just been a rock star. I mean, just since, I don't even know when, but I mean, just like from the moment she could start talking, like I think she's been advocating for other people and for justice. Um, and so it's been so exciting to see her growth and potential develop through the Charlottesville City School System. But she's now a university student, right? She graduated and is going to UVA. And to see the ways in which she is still wanting to advocate and wanting to make sure that her friends' voices are heard, she also now is in a different playing field, right? She also is working and a different space and now she's only the governor's cabinet for uh, diversity and equity and she does these amazing things i know that there's still work that needs to be done here in charlottesville right so i know that i need to make sure that when the school board sessions start back up and ziana is no longer a student that i'm still working with the school board to say hey remember when the student was really advocating for these changes and for these issues those changes and issues still need to occur right so we have kind of that continuity that is often lost when you have those exciting and just powerful students um, that only have a finite amount of time inside the school system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, speaking of kind of your role, it's, it is a, a, it's a position, a permanent one right now within the Charlottesville government. Right. And you're trying to work with like the school boards and, and other internal and external municipal agencies and presumably the county as well and how what is that balance because what kind of authority do you do you have you know of course when we have young people who can help drive and motivate that can swing things for us but when maybe some years you don't have that strong voice what are your options do you have other options to get programs moving or to address some of these barriers what tools are at your uh, disposal? Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting because um, I never really thought of it as like an authority. Uh, I think of it as a way in which I am holding a microphone, right? I am the person that's able to say, these are the things that the kids want. This is what I've heard from kids and I kind of represent youth voice. Um, but doing that in a way that I'm still having programmatic elements involved in my job where right now I'm working on a mp3 program where men are passionately pursuing their purpose which kind of focuses in on athletes inside of high school that are maybe a little bit uh, i wouldn't say too focused on athletics but it, it becomes their sole identity right when i ask you what did you do this summer oh i hooped okay what else did you do oh uh i mean i played aau basketball over in you know las vegas right you kind of have this sole identity of who you are but i realized that like working with these kids also allows me to get an understanding as to what's going on for them daily. Like what are their, um, what are kind of some of their struggles? Mm. Um, so I think that like, for me, I see my strength and my authority coming through youth voice and coming through uh, the stories that I hear from kids and the experiences that they share with me. And that then provides me with, the galvanizing force that I need to then advocate for them and to 
come back and say, no, actually, you didn't solve this problem. No, actually, we're not going to settle for this initial offer. Um, and so making sure that I am kind of using my own experiences and my own connections throughout the community um, as a way to, like, you know, hold the microphone and uh, amplify the youth voice that I work with. Um, so that's kind of what I see it as, like, as my authority, if you will, being with the experiences and the voices and what I carry from them um, and using that as an opportunity. So that way I'm able to sit in those high level meetings with executive directors and with school board, school board, um, you know, administrators and superintendents and say, hey, these are the things that my kids are going through and these are what they say is wrong, right? So how can we make sure that we are thinking about this in a way that includes youth voice and that includes their um, experiences when we're making decisions. That's a really cool way to frame it. I like the, you know, you're amplifying their voice and it's almost that you're accountable to the youth, to these young yeah. people. And uh, that's really beautiful. And I do know, like, and you, you started to touch on it, uh, some of the ways you're amplifying voices are through documentary films and you've mm -hmm. got a book club. Um, tell us some more about some of these projects. Yeah, so it's been really exciting um, because, again, for me, without there being any kind of precursor to my position, um, I've been able to hear the different um, different needs from the community um, and being able to act on them from that point. Um, so, I, like you said, I mentioned the book club, uh, which started in about February of this year, um, it lasted for about 10 weeks. Um, and we actually, luckily enough, through our partnership with Virginia Humanities, they also are the lead, I guess, sponsor for the Virginia Festival of the Book. And so during that time, we actually ended the, the book club during the Festival of the Book, and we had some authors from, our, from like the books that we were reading come and meet the kids. Um, and so to see that partnership and to see the way that the kids were just blown away uh, at not only meeting an author in person because you kind of see these names on books and you you assume that there's someone somewhere wrote this book at some point, right? But meeting that person um, and then for that person to also look like you, right? So we had an author named Baptiste Paul who is from St. Lucia and he wrote a book uh, called The Field and it's just kind of about kids that are playing in the field and it starts raining and they keep playing through the field. Um, even though it's hard, it's slippery and it's tough, they still want to have fun with their friends. And to see kids kind of grasp the, the lesson of persistence through that and like to see them understand that this book means more than just playing soccer with their friends was amazing. But then to see the kids actually get to meet the author and say, oh my God, wait, you're Baptiste Paul, you're the one that wrote this book, uh, was just like breathtaking, right? Because you get to see these kids that never even imagined that they could write a book, never imagined that they could be something um, like this and have people read their stories, but to see them, see someone else who looks like them doing the things that they maybe can do in the future was like really powerful. Um, so we have like awesome stories like that. Uh, the, the first documentary that we created from the Bama Works Fund that I mentioned earlier actually was, um, like was actually, we just got into another film festival. So it's three in total. Uh, film festivals we've been a part of, the Virginia Film Festival, the SARS Film Festival in Austin, Texas, as well as the Arlington International Film Festival. 
Um, and these are, I mean, none of these film festivals say the word youth or some type of like qualifier. These are just film festivals in which kids are producing work that's so powerful and so gripping that uh, film festivals are wanting to show it to the rest of their communities. And so things like that are just really exciting. Um, and we actually are even creating another documentary that's going to be premiering in September 19th. Uh, so just a little over two weeks away uh, at 6.30 p.m. inside of the MLK Performing Arts Center, which is here inside of Charlottesville. It's kind of the art center for the Charlottesville High School. Um, that film is going to be really exciting because while last year we focused in on having our, um, having kind of like the kids interview older adults and ask them about their experiences, we are now having basically the kids tell adults about their own personal experiences, about what it means to be a young black man in the city of Charlottesville and what it means to kind of walk through, uh, walk through a, a store and, have them so have them be followed and meanwhile they see another white kid who's about their same age who may actually be stealing something or who may actually be doing something wrong um they're not being followed and so kind of the perception that they may feel is that they're guilty until proven innocent right so we have these experiences but then having them also show that this is an opportunity um where kids can say i'm more than that right i I play basketball and, you know, I um, created music and I am a singer and I um, do artwork. One of the kids we had actually created artwork that was, he had 100% on his AP art exam, wow. um, which is just incredible, right? That we have these kids that you may assume one thing about them. Um, and he said that, like, oftentimes he was inside of his classroom and his teachers would say, like, why aren't you paying attention, you know, get off your phone or stop messing with your tablet or whatever. What they didn't realize is that he was doing his artwork on his tablet and he was actually creating some of these masterpieces that got him into, like, this Hall of Fame for AP art um, through the work that he was doing, right? It wasn't anything that he was even taught. He just started doing this and it was something that he was passionate about. And so I think that, like, you see that there was a perception about him that until they saw like the just incredible work that he could do, they had a misconception as to who he was. Um, so those are like programs that I get to do and just really exciting ways I get to showcase the awesome things that our kids are doing. Like I'm not doing anything. I'm just, again, holding a <laughs> microphone, showing, showing the world, saying, look at these kids, they're doing incredible things. Yeah, I mean, they certainly are. And, it, you know, gosh, I always have so many questions for these types of things. Yeah, I'm curious, like, part of me thinks and, and no criticism to the profession, like teachers, for example, I know a lot of times they're, you know, of course, underpaid, understaffed, under resourced. But is there something like, is there an exam? And I don't know if you know, and I'm just kind of asking generally, um, but, you know, are there trainings that teachers get to really be thinking about some of these equity issues? Not just, I know they get trained on like, okay, if a, if a student has special needs in this area, but are they thinking about other, and do you even know, are they thinking about other potential challenges that students have before they even get to school? Yeah, so what I have seen is this just incredible force kind of sweeping through our town um, and that we have superintendents and mayors and 
heads of departments that are all focusing in on equity. Um, and not just focusing in on it as far as checking a box, but also like creating positions for this. So we have inside the city school system, there was actually a person who was just hired named Denise Johnson, who is now kind of the director of diversity and equity within the schools. Um, she's gonna be focusing in on professional development for the kids inside of our schools. She's going to be uh, working with kind of like our Quest program, which is like the honors program or the gifted program inside of the school system. Um, as well as creating like a peer mentorship program in the schools as well. And so seeing the ways in which she has been hired and then tasked with creating these systems and these approaches that have professional development that is focused on equity and having that be a part of the teacher's kind of like analysis, right? Like this is an integral part of your work, just how you need to be trained and understand the SOL testing and what it means to pass the SOL, we need you to also be culturally competent. We need you to also be able to work with people that are different than you and that may have different experiences than you. Um, and I will say, like, I've never had teaching experience as far as being in the classroom, but I've realized more often that as I'm working with younger kids or as I'm working with teenagers or, you know, getting them in a group setting, especially because most of the time they're in an all boys setting um, when they're with me. It's just kind of like that all of that trauma, all of that fear, all of those experiences just come up um, and they come up in different ways, whether it is standing up in the middle of class and looking out the window or um, not raising their hand or making jokes about someone um, and calling them all types of names, but knowing that they're just your friend and you really are actually worried about being vulnerable, so you'd rather be funny instead. Um, you have these experiences that I think are showing the trauma and showing how that trauma affects their daily lives. And so between the school system hiring Denise, as well as our city, getting some funding to have trauma-informed specialists placed inside of our middle and high school, you see these experiences that are showcasing the ways in which we are responding to the needs of our community. Um, and we're doing it in a way that I think is looking proactively at what can come in the future, right? If we have people that are focused in on trauma inside of the middle school and they have an opportunity to engage with students, those students are then, then going to be better prepared when they go to high school, which are then going to be better prepared when they enter into the real world or, the, or they go to college or whatever their next steps are. We have these experiences and we have these, these as opportunities to focus in on cultivating and loving and just surrounding these kids with support that they may not always have when they go back at home. Um, mm -hmm. So I see our community as an opportunity and as, as a space uh, for kids to truly be cultivated and be a part of a larger community, kind of building a village, um, which is another thing that Denise is tasked with, creating a program in which our supports don't just end inside the school system. They're not just within these four walls, that we have counselors and community members and neighbors that are loving and knowing of each other's experiences. So I think those are the things that, for me, make a difference um, when you're looking at kids and going into the future. It's really, it's so nice to hear because, you know, it sounds like your work, Denise's work, and in the work of really the leadership throughout Charlottesville just is a true reflection of the community's kind of focus on equity and, and why it's important, really understanding it. And so 
what in what way are you kind of tracking the success of kind of these programs that you're promoting and inputting out there and starting in some cases? Is there a way to kind of track progress? That's something that communities are focusing more and more on. You know, we want to see not just the ROI from a dollar standpoint, but are we being effective with these programs? Do you guys have any tools that you're using to gauge the success? Yeah, so I'm really excited actually because we currently don't, right? I'm, I'm one person and I do a lot of partnerships um, that allows me to get some of the research or get some of the analysis completed by UVA students or um, professors or, you know, kind of like that's helpful. Um, but I think that the majority of my work and the success quote unquote, if you will, about the programs that I'm involved in. Um, a lot of those are kind of the like qualitative, really storytelling successes. Um, I have kids, like one of the kids from our first documentary was actually so impressed and so excited, um, not only about meeting a black filmmaker named Clarence Green and working with him throughout the summer, but also excited that he was able to produce something and he was able to tell a story through a vision that he had or through the experiences that he had over the summertime and be able to share that story with hundreds and thousands of people. Um, that he decided that instead of going into sports broadcasting, which he initially wanted to do um, when he went to college, he actually changed his major and changed schools to go into a film school um, during his second year. Uh, because he was like, you know what, this is actually what I want to do. I want to tell stories for a living. And so I have these really amazing anecdotal and like qualitative notes where people are saying that like this program actually changed the direction of my life. This is where I want to go now. I want to tell these stories to people. I want to show people that Black people can be more than just what the media is portraying them as. Um, and then I think I'm excited to have those kind of colloquial, you know, type of um, additives or types of experiences, but I think that what I'm also excited about is that because we've had such great success and because we've had this national spotlight on us, um, we actually had My Brother's Keeper reach out to us and say, hey, we actually are interested in hosting you all as one of 24 cities to be a part of this NBK, My Brother's Keeper Alliance framework pilot, um, where they are looking at that exact question how do we know what we're doing is effective? Not just, not even like successful, because I think success can be varied in a number of ways. But how do we know that like people's lives are being changed for the better because of the work that we do? And that I think is one of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves, because if that is not true, then we need to change what we're doing, right? If we can't prove that the work that we're doing is making a difference, we can't prove that the ways in which we are influencing and impacting and maybe taking kids out of class for a short amount of time to make sure that they are basically ready to fully engage when they get back into class. Um, if we're not doing these things with purpose, then we need to really analyze what we're doing. We need to really make sure that our efforts and our dollars are going towards really effective and meaningful work. Um, so I'm excited because with my brother Keeper reaching out, they're going to give us some technical assistance through the National League of Cities and through other partner organizations um, to allow us to take a baseline as to where we are currently, not just the, you know, reading SOL scores and things like that that we know that we can pull from online, but kind of like where's the community, where's the pulse of the community. 
um, and taking those experiences and then being able to set guidelines and parameters as well as goals for the future, three months, six months, a year from now, where do you want to see the city of Charlottesville and how do we get there? And mm-hmm. so I'm really excited for this new partnership and I wanted to make sure that we are, um, I think the community is definitely open to it and we really want to make sure that we give these, uh, this help and this assistance, like just everything that we have, because we know that it's going to be an opportunity that's going to better our community. Well, that sounds really cool. And certainly we'd love to follow up with you uh, either while you're going through it or after uh, you completed that framework, because it'd be certainly interesting to learn about and, and share with our listeners. And I guess along those lines, um, you know, you've provided so many great examples of things that you're doing in Charlottesville. And of course, you know, you've, you've created this position and, and have had the flexibility to, you know, figure out what it's going to be and what your day to day is, which I can certainly appreciate having done that myself in in my previous (laughs) roles. But, um, you know, the thing that always comes up is, well, how do we do it in another community, right? Um, Mm -hmm. They don't yet have the funds um, to maybe hire somebody to to really take the lead on this. What would it look like? What kind of advice? And I guess specifically for those who want to more effectively engage youth, but particularly African-American youth and and males, it sounds like. How how can we Mm -hmm. make sure that when we're, you know, Hopefully, it's not just during a planning process, but planning processes are when communities tend to engage a lot, um, and I think always with the right intent. Um, but even beyond planning processes, what is what are some tips you might give for folks on how to engage folks in an authentic way? Absolutely. I mean, I think that it's it comes down to three things, right? First is showing up. I mean, you don't know how much it means to these kids for them to see someone show up and go out of their way uh, to do something, right? I remember, so I'm a big brother for Big Brothers Big Sisters, um, and I was with my little the other day, and he he and I were talking about something, um, and I had like grabbed ice cream or whatever, um, and he was like, oh, I'm gonna get sprinkles because I know like you get paid for this. I said, what do you mean I get paid for this? He's like, well, like you wouldn't do this for free. Like you're obviously getting paid, but so they must pay you to like get the ice cream and stuff. I was like, no, buddy, like, this is, this is my money that I'm spending because I want to spend time with you and I, and I want to uh, make sure you have a, a positive, caring adult that's not your parents. Um, and so, like, having a realization, he's like, wait, but why, why would you do this? You don't get paid. You're supposed to do stuff for money. Although, well, there's some things that are worth more than money, right? There's some things, some experiences that are worth more than that. Um, and for him to see that someone was willfully paying their own money and using their own time to think about them and to, to just be around them and just to experience life with them um, and give them advice and kind of like just be excited to be with them was like really powerful for him um, because he was like, oh, wow, like you don't, you don't have to do this. You're actually just choosing to be with me. You're choosing um, to spend money on me. You're choosing to go to escape rooms and jump, jump trampolines with me and all this other stuff. Um, so just showing up is really important, um, because that allows the kids to see that there's someone that cares. Um, and I think that with showing up, it's, this goes into the second point, which is keep showing up, um, which isn't really, you might think that it's kind of like reiterative of, 
saying the same thing twice, but it's really not because showing up and keep showing up are two different things. Because it's easy to show up for one one time, maybe you're a student and you have volunteer hours you need to complete, right? So you go and you volunteer with some kids and you read them a book and you say, okay, great, have fun, I'll see you later. And then you never actually see them later. Um, so keep showing up is just really important because what that does when you keep showing up is it kind of breaks down some of those barriers that you're going to find, especially with boys, especially with teenage and adolescent boys. You just see there's just this hardness. There's this hard exterior and they have to put up this bravado that they are told that they need to portray in order to be accepted in society and in order to keep themselves from being hurt or being vulnerable. Um, because kids, I mean, especially young boys, aren't told or aren't taught that having friendships and being close with people and being intimate, not in a sexual way, but in being intimate with your with your guy friends or being intimate with just your girlfriends and like just knowing that there is intimacy that is beyond sex, that is just loving someone um, through like the pureness of your heart. Those things are so important to your development. They're important to have that community and that fellowship with other people. Um, so when you keep having these one-offs that we have a lot, I mean, honestly, because we're in a college town, um, we'll have a lot of one-off, you know, presentations or one-off um, people come into the Boys and Girls Club and they'll stay for a week or so. But keep showing up is really important because it allows kids to know that they're worth it, right? And kids right now, especially depending on what age group you're working with, but they're just boundary testing, right? They're boundary testing to see, are you really going to stay around? If I push and push and push and push, are you still going to be here? Because I pushed three times and this, you know, person, the stu student from this one university came in and after the third time of me pushing them away, they stopped coming in. So I knew that was enough for them, right? I knew that they were going to leave just like I suspected in the very beginning. Um, so when you have these kids that are trying to push you away, really in a way of seeing, are you actually going to stay with me? Are you actually going to put up with this, put up with me? Because if you think that I'm worth it, then maybe I think that I'm worth it too. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that like having those experiences of showing up and keep showing up are just really powerful for the kids. Um, and then the third is just like you said before, but like it's being authentic, right? Kids, I mean, I wish that I could just bottle this up and sell it, but they have the greatest BS inauthenticity. Like they know it and they can spot it from a mile away just walking into a space, like you will know uh, and you will be checked very quickly if you are being inauthentic. And I think that the reason probably why they're so good at this is because it's what they've been training for their entire lives, right? I mean, it's, it's this idea that like, I have to be apathetic towards everything. I have to pretend like I don't care about anything. I have to be cool. I have to wear the nicest clothes and be the, be not the smartest person, but be the person that doesn't care, but actually is smart, but who cares if you're smart because nothing matters, right? Like you have to have these totally different dynamic, you have to have sexual experience, but you can't be a prude. And like, you, you know, there's all these different things that like, are so incredible and confusing and are just amplified by social media that kids just know for sure when someone's being inauthentic um, and they will call you out for it immediately. Um, and so I think that like when I first started this role, I was kind of like wary because like I knew that my experience of growing up in a military town and having, and really honestly like an upper middle class life where there was multiple checks coming into the home through retirements and all these other things. and 
all of my friends had cars when they were 16 and this was kind of just the life that I lived, I knew that that was going to be different than some of the kids that are growing up in public housing that are worried about, you know, uh, having electricity or what, what they're going to eat tomorrow or things like that. So I came in kind of worried, like, oh my gosh, am I going to need to like kind of lie about my past or like just not bring it up or not wear certain clothes or try to buy some Jordans or something? Like, do I need to like kind of be this person who I'm not, be this person who I didn't grow up being? Um, and then realizing that like, oh, they actually don't even care about that. They don't care that I didn't grow up in the same circumstances that, that they did. What they care about is that I am being authentic, right? I'm being the person that I like who I am on the inside, um, which I think is also something that they never really see in their peers. So if everyone's trying to be uh, this new person, this Instagram model, this YouTube star, if they're all trying to be these things and everyone truly on the inside just wants to be authentic, just wants to be themselves and not have that be made fun of, like when they see someone who is like that, they admire that so much. Showing that authenticity is it's what's going to keep the kids um, kind of coming back to you, and that's what's going to help them open up. It's what's going to help them tell you some of the things that are going on that they're really scared of and that they may not be able to tell other people because they don't get that authenticity from them. They don't get that um, that showing up and that care um, because if you're authentic and you care about these kids and you care about their lives and their well-being, they're going to be there for you, and they're going to love you forever. That's amazing. Well, that is some great advice for uh, our listeners. And I'm sure if uh, folks have questions, they can reach out to you. And I know certainly for me, if you come across students that are eager to engage in the fun field of addressing climate change, you can absolutely send them our way. We'd love to chat with folks. Uh, We always have internship opportunities available. So, um, you know, really want to see youth taking on this also other important uh, issue that's out there. Yeah. Well, Daniel, this has just been fantastic. You are such a special person doing amazing work. Um, I hope you all stay in touch with us. I thank you so much for taking the time for chatting with us today and really keep up the good work. This is, this is very impressive and I'm sure we'll be seeing lots of great things out of you. Yes, thank you so much again for the work that you're doing and just for anyone that's involved. It's not enough attention that's paid to it. So I thank you for all that work that you're doing. Um, and yeah, if anyone has any questions, you can reach out to bmacville at charlesville.org. Thank you so much for allowing me this opportunity and this platform uh, to showcase the work that these kids are doing. Thank you. Thank you for joining this episode of SAS Talk with Kim. You can listen to other podcasts in our sustainability action series at sastalkwithkim.com. Remember that action is the key to your community's sustainable future. What will you act on today?